Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Focus Weekly Discipleship Podcast. My name is Kevin Rognes, and I am the Discipleship Director here at Faith Covenant Church. I'm just very thankful that you would choose to make some time in your day for uh, this podcast, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on any of the major podcasting platforms. I just want to encourage you to make sure you hit subscribe to make sure that you're not missing any of our weekly content that we put out on a weekly basis. And I also want to encourage you to leave a review that helps us know how we're doing and what we can do to improve. I also just want to remind you that my email address is listed in the episode description area, so please make use of that. If there's a question that you have about something we cover, if there's a topic that you want us to go into, anything like that, um, I'm very eager for that kind of input, and I would be very happy to kind of tailor the podcast around what you're wanting to see and hear. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about a specific book of the Bible. Those of you who attend Faith Covenant may know that um, during our 9 o'clock grow hour, one of the class options has been a study for the past few weeks on the book of Amos. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, We're about to wrap up on this upcoming Sunday. Um, I hope you can still make it. If you haven't already, you can still uh, come. You're welcome to join us. Um, But I just kind of want to talk about some of the highlights of the things that we've talked about as we've gone through the book of Amos in this class. So um, a couple of things before we delve into Amos specifically is to talk about prophets and prophecy and what their role is. There's a lot we could say about that. I'm not going to go into all of that at this moment, Um, but a little bit of that kind of context is helpful and is, I think, necessary. So one of the best definitions of a prophet that I found comes from the Baker Illustrated Dictionary and says, a prophet is a messenger of God, a person to whom God entrusts his message to an individual or to a nation. So a prophet is simply a messenger from God, messaging either to an individual or to a nation. So we have prophecy going out, and prophecy then would be that message that a prophet gives. Um, So a prophet um, speaks to an individual or a nation, and by by default, anything in between. So um, a group, a church, a community... Any of those things um, could be the recipient of a prophet's message. Interestingly in that is that prophecy does not necessarily mean future telling. Oftentimes we think of a prophecy as being something that is going to happen in the future. Sometimes that is part of what prophecy is, but more often in scripture, what prophecy is, is a comparison between God's word and what scripture says about how we should live and how we're actually living. (laughs) So it's comparing current events to what God says in scripture and whether things are matching up or not. Oftentimes when a prophet is speaking, they're not matching up, and that's why there is an occasion for the prophet to speak out about that. Now, we often think in the church today about prophets being mainly Old Testament figures, and certainly that's maybe when we see the greatest number of prophets. But prophets do show up in the New Testament as well. 
John the Baptist is a great example of a prophet. He was uh, somebody who got entrusted with a message to say, make way, the Messiah is coming. So John the Baptist was a prophet. And Paul, the uh, amazing apostle who wrote so many things that we are still reading today, he talked about prophecy as a spiritual gift. And by him saying that, that tells us today that prophecy should be something that we're engaging in today. In essence, our role as Christians is to tell about the good news of Jesus Christ. That makes us prophets by definition. That's a message that we have been given to God, and we are then to give it to individuals or to groups or even to the whole nation. So we are all called to be prophets on some level. It doesn't, prophets are not necessarily people that God speaks to audibly and like parts the clouds and says, I have a message for you, give this to so-and-so. We are all given a prophetic role and a prophetic voice when we speak about scripture and when we call people to relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's a little bit of information about prophets and what they do and what their role is. Let's get a little bit further into Amos and talk about the context that he was living in. At the time that Amos was prophesying and doing his work, um, the kingdom or the nation of Israel that we know of as having, you know, come out of Egypt and taken over the promised land, that nation of Israel had faced a civil war and it essentially split off into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom kept the name Israel, and they were uh, a very interesting kingdom. So uh, their kings were never good kings, and Israel mostly lived in a state of idolatry and constantly worshiping other gods and those kinds of things. The southern kingdom, which was known as Judah, their kings were sometimes faithful to God, sometimes not. So when we read the Old Testament scriptures, we see kind of an up and down journey for the nation of Judah, um, because sometimes they repent of their sin and are close to God, other times not so much. But the northern kingdom of Israel and all its kings are genuine, uh, generally not good at following God. Some of the people may have been, but its leadership certainly was not. So at the time that Amos is prophesying, there is a king known as King Jeroboam II who is currently on the throne. He has had military success, and there is a certain amount of wealth that the people of Israel have been given, um, but spiritually they're not doing a good job of following God. Um, there's a lot of problems that are going on, and uh, that's a problem. There's a similar situation happening in the southern kingdom of Judah. King Uzziah is reigning at that point in Judah, the southern kingdom, and he's also not doing a great job of following God. There's also, again, a lot of false worship of other gods from neighboring areas. So um, Uzziah is also presiding over Judah during a time of relative military strength and prosperity. So on the outside, things maybe look good for the people who are wealthy, in both Israel and Judah, um, but inside there's some internal rot, 
there are financial issues, there are um, oppressive financial expressions uh, towards the poor, um, all kinds of false worship practices happening. So really not the best time uh, to be in either Judah or Israel. Another reality that they're facing is that um, the Assyrian uh, company, or not company, uh, the Assyrian nation is developing in strength. So later, in centuries later after Amos, um, Assyria does invade and takes over Israel. Um, they're not yet on Israel's border. They're on the borders and kind of starting to invade some of the nations surrounding Israel. So the threat of Assyrian invasion is very real to the people of Israel. So um, Amos is kind of prophesying during a time of relative prosperity, but that prosperity is maybe about to be checked in a big way by Assyria. Amos himself is believed to be a person who is kind of of a lower class. Um, he kind of says a couple of times that he's um, a farmer of some sort, uh, possibly a shepherd. Um, we're not given a lot of personal info about Amos, um, but he's some sort of agricultural worker um, as his main occupation. He does reference that a few times uh, throughout Amos, that he's just a lowly farmer. He's not supposed to be one of the religious elite, but here he is uh, sharing uh, some things about God's word. So uh, that's a little bit about Amos and the time that he was speaking at. So Amos as a book is about uh, not, is nine chapters long, so it's not the longest of uh, the prophets. And so I'm just going to go through what the chapters kind of talk about just as a summary, because we're not going to read all of Amos today as a part of the podcast, although I highly encourage you to uh, read through it. It's super interesting. So uh, chapter one um, starts with Amos kind of talking about the nations that are surrounding uh, Israel and Judah, and he says a lot of the crimes that they're involved in. So he talks about the nations of Damascus, also known as Syria, uh, Philistia, which where we get the Philistines, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, uh, some of those nations, and he details some of the problems that they're doing and some of the oppressive things that they've done to Israel. In chapter 2, he continues with some of the same ideas, talking about Moab, and then, interestingly, he talks about Judah, so that southern kingdom, and says that Judah has some problems and Judah has some things that they are at fault for. After uh, Amos has gone on about all of these nations that are immediately surrounding Israel, he then zeroes in on Israel and starts talking about how Israel also has its fair share of problems. And then kind of the rest of the book goes into Israel and its problems. So it's really interesting because Amos starts off with kind of getting his audience, which he's speaking to people in Israel, in that northern kingdom. So he kind of gets them on his side by saying, oh yeah, this nation's terrible, and this nation's terrible, and this nation's done this thing wrong, and that nation's done that thing wrong. Kind of gets them all on his side. But then he says, hey Israel, we have our problems too. We have our own flaws and our own things that we really need to be talking about. So then chapters 3 and 4 kind of combined uh, start to go into detail about some of those things that they're being judged for. 
So there are uh, elements of financial oppression towards those who don't have as much money. He talks about false worship practices. He also talks a lot about the signs that they have been given about their wrongdoing that have been ignored. Things like drought and famine. Amos says that God gave us these things as signs that we need to repent. These are signs that we are doing something wrong and we need to turn away from those wrong things and follow God. So that's kind of what's going on in chapters 3 and 4. In chapter 5, there is some discussion about repentance and what that looks like, as well as the day of the Lord, or the day that God will come in and start to judge them, and when they start to experience consequences for the bad things that they've done. Chapter 6 talks about uh, complacency and overindulgence, so basically kind of talking about the rich people being rich and having these fancy second homes and just tons of food and wine and just overindulging themselves when there are poor people who have nothing. Uh, Chapter 7 talks about uh, Amos having visions from God about um, God judging Israel in some way, but then Amos pleading for repentance or for God to relent, and God then relents until in the third vision, God no longer relents and God destroys Israel. Uh, Chapter 7 also sees Amos go up in direct uh, confrontation with a king's prophet named Amaziah. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment, but he goes kind of head-to-head with Amaziah, and Amaziah is not happy about it, and the king is not happy about it either. Chapter 8 then kind of goes into how the time is near, things are coming to a head, and the time of... Uh, repentance will run out if there's not repentance, and the Israelites will face judgment and will face consequences. Then chapter 9 gives us a really vivid uh, description of Israel's destruction because the people do not repent, and so it is ultimately destroyed. But it also gives, at the very last, at the very end of chapter 9, it does end on a hopeful note and says that even if and when this destruction happens, God will bring restoration. So it ends on a really, really hopeful, hopeful image. So with all that in mind, I'm certainly not going to delve into um, a detailed description of all of Amos because there's just so much to go into. We've been going into it uh, for several weeks now, and we could go on for even weeks longer. But um, I just wanted to highlight three things that I found really interesting throughout the book of Amos. The first is the role of of repentance. Now, repentance is understood biblically as a turning away. So if you're on this path and going this way, and you realize this is the wrong path to be on, I need to repent. That means you literally turn away from your sin and go in a different direction and follow a different path. So there's an interesting passage um, in Amos 5 verses 4 through 6 that I'll read here, where it says, For the Lord says to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel, or go to Gilgal, or journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will certainly go into exile, and Bethel will come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will spread like fire throughout the house of Joseph. It will consume everything, with no one at Bethel to extinguish it. 
So here, that seeking the Lord, that's another phrase that often means repentance. So instead of seeking these other things, seek God instead. And these other things that are mentioned, Gilgal, Bethel, Beersheba, these were places where um, false worship practices were happening. So there were places of worshiping foreign gods or foreign idols. So basically Amos is saying, don't go to these places to worship something that isn't real. Worship God instead. And what happens when you worship God? Well, when you worship God, you live. This uh, image of repentance is especially powerful because it happens amidst lots of bad things happening before if Israel does not repent, and then after this, more bad things happening if Israel does not repent. So in the midst of all of this, all of these horrible things happening, Amos is continually saying, there is hope, and that hope simply comes from repentance. That's what we're called to today as Christ followers. We recognize the things that we do wrong, and we seek the Lord instead. We seek Jesus Christ, and we seek to follow him in turning away from all the things that would lead us astray. So the role of repentance is very important in Amos, but it's also very important to us today. We constantly need to be repenting of any number of things, turning away from those things and seeking the Lord. The second thing that I found that I've been finding really interesting about uh, going through Amos as a part of this class uh, has been God's concern for economic justice, um, making sure that the poor are treated well, and kind of going after the wealthy people because their wealth is coming at the expense of the poor. It's not that wealth in and of itself is necessarily a bad thing unless it's coming at the expense of the poor. So if the wealthy see the poor and do nothing to help them, that's a problem, according to Amos and according to God. If the wealthy are gaining their wealth because of fraud or economically oppressive practices, that's a problem. We need to be aware of that as well. So I want to read some examples of Amos kind of going after some of these wealthy people. And we find this in Amos chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, which says this, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the hill of Samaria, the notable people in this first of the nations, that those the house of Israel is come to, comes to. So here he's already, Amos is already saying, you know, woe to these people who feel really confident and really comfortable in their security um, because it's not going to last long. Then continuing uh, in verse 2, he says, Cross over to Kalna and see. Go from there to the great Hamath, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Is their territory larger than yours? Now, these three areas, Kalna, Hamath, and Gath, these are all three cities that at some point either fell to Israel or fell to Assyria. So these three cities, they thought they were super powerful and couldn't be taken over by other nations, but they were. And so Amos is kind of using them as examples and saying, you think you're so secure like these other nations and other cities did, but you're not. Sorry. And then continuing, verse 3. Uh, you dismiss any thought of the evil day 
and bring in a rain of violence. They lay on beds inlaid with Avery, ivory, sprawled out on their couches, and dine on lambs from the flock and calves from the stall. So there, this image of uh, beds inlaid with ivory basically just means you have really, really fancy stuff, and you think your wealth is going to kind of protect you. Continuing on. They improvise songs to the sound of the harp and invent their own musical instruments like David. So here, Amos is kind of targeting people that are making music, thinking that the way they make music makes them like David, who is, you know, very well known for being close to God. Um, But Amos is kind of saying, you're doing this on a surface level, but nothing is really changing inside. Then in 6 and 7, he kind of condemns uh, more signs of their excess, and he says, they drink wine by the bowl full and anoint themselves with the finest oils. But they do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. They're not grieving the true problems that are going on inside their country. Therefore, they will now go into exile as the first of the captives, and the feasting of those who sprawl out will come to an end. So it's very vivid language to say that the people who think they are most secure and wealthiest are actually going to be the first to feel the problems when the Assyrians invade. So he's speaking very strongly against this confidence and security and wealth because we're supposed to be confident in God. And our confidence in God shouldn't be that, oh, God is automatically going to protect us. Our confidence in God should be from the fact that God is loving us and God has given us his word for us to follow. So our confidence should come from our following God, not from prosperity or wealth. Uh, yeah. So, And then elsewhere, Amos also talks throughout the book of Amos. He talks about um, various other financially oppressive practices and examples of financial fraud that's happening against poor people. Um, so throughout this, uh, throughout Amos, um, Amos shows that God has a deep concern about economic justice uh, for the poor. Lastly, the thing that uh, really stands out to me is not necessarily specifically tied to any particular biblical passage in Amos, um, but throughout the book, he is incredibly bold as a speaker. Like I said earlier, he initially kind of talks about um, the nations surrounding Israel and kind of gets people on his side. But then, as he's talking to people in Israel, he goes hard on Israel. (laughs) And he is very blunt about what he is saying and who he is saying it to. There is no question to the audience that he is speaking out strongly against the rich and the powerful in Israel. There is no mistaking it. So he is being very bold and speaking truth directly to power. He also frequently reminds the people that he's speaking to that, hey, this is the word word of the Lord, not me. It's almost kind of like he's saying, hey, don't shoot the messenger. He's also trying to say that, hey, this is not me making this up. This is God's word. This message is more important than anything that I am making up. This is God's word. That's why you need to listen. 
Um, I, like I said earlier, he also has a direct confrontation at the end of chapter 7 with the king's prophet Amaziah. Amaziah basically challenges him and says, you can't talk like this to us. You can't be speaking like this. We have forbidden it. And indeed, that's one of the things that Amos goes against in earlier in his passage, or in this passage. He, Amos talks about how you have forcibly silenced the prophets. You have forbidden anyone from speaking out on behalf of the Lord. And so Amos is doing that despite being explicitly forbidden from doing so. So Amos is really putting it all out there and really putting himself at risk in order to speak the word of the Lord. So Amos is an incredibly, incredibly bold person and is just such a great example for us to look up to when we think about how to speak truth to power. Amos does so very well. He does so very respectfully, but he also does so bluntly. He calls it like it is and is very direct about what he sees. And like I said earlier, Amos is really good at talking about how current events compare with God's word and God's scripture. So those are three of the things that I have found really interesting. And I'm sure if you go through Amos, uh, there's a lot more that you can find interesting as well. So I strongly encourage you to do that. If you have any questions about that, please let me know. I'd be happy to discuss further with you. Um, It's always so exciting in this job uh, when people want to delve deeper into God's word. That should be a big part of what we do here together as a church. So let's do that. When you see something in scripture that makes you go, what? <laughs> Definitely bring that to us and or bring that to somebody else that you know um, who is a following or a follower of Christ and say, I don't know about this. What, let's talk about this. Let's, de- let's delve deeper into this. That's what the body of Christ is for. So please do that. I just want to thank you for, again, taking some time uh, to be with us today. Um, I'm just always really grateful when I see you interacting with this content, um, and I just hope it's beneficial for you. So please, if there's anything else that I can be doing to uh, be more useful and make this even more productive for you, uh, I'd be really happy to hear that. So thank you very much for your time. Again, remember to subscribe, leave a review, all those things. Thank you, and have a wonderful and blessed day.